Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, 8 o'clock church this morning. Uh, In your handout, we've already had the reading and there's an outline. uh, You may find it helpful to have that double page opened up for us. Let me pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, died for our sins, raised to new life and ascended into heaven. Open our eyes that we may appreciate his rule more deeply this morning. Help us not to move too quickly from Easter season that we may reflect on the glorious things that you have done for us through your Son. Teach us this morning that we may leave here praising Jesus. Amen. Uh, I want to start with this thought. Easter is a trilogy. And I want to start with that thought that Easter is a trilogy. Jesus died. Jesus rose. And the third part of the trilogy is Jesus ascended to the right hand of God. Uh, As I was preparing for this talk, I was playing around in my mind. What are the great trilogies of our age? Uh, I quickly exposed the fact that my mind is gripped by pop culture and I was born just before Star Wars, I thought, Star Wars, what a great trilogy. Lord of the Rings, what a great trilogy. Uh, Back to the Future, one, two, and three, what a great trilogy. And when you think about trilogies, uh, it immediately makes uh, no sense to stop at the second part of the act. And so if we're thinking about Lord of the Rings, I've been a Tolkien reader from since I was a young boy, Uh, it would make no sense to stop at book two. It would make no sense to leave Frodo and Sam in the spider's lair. Or if you're a watcher of Back to the Future trilogy, it makes no sense to stop at the end of the second one, uh, where Marty McFly is in 1885. And if you're a Star Wars fan, and if you aren't, I'm guessing some of your children and grandchildren are, it makes no sense to leave Han Solo encased in carbonite. And as you think about trilogies, we come to Easter with that mindset. It makes no sense to talk about Easter without the ascension of Jesus. Uh, And so this morning, I really want to help us stop and think, what does the ascension of Jesus mean for us? Now, you'll be aware that when we say ascension, we mean that moment where Jesus, in his raised, resurrected physical body, moved from earth to heaven to sit at the Father's right hand. And... uh, The thing that brought it back to my attention is that that's how Luke's Gospel finishes, with that moment. Forty days after the resurrection, ten days before Pentecost, uh, Luke says this in in chapter 24, verse 50. We've already heard it read out for us. Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. 
And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And I want to ask you the question, why is the ascension of Jesus significant for us? And uh, Luke, in the last portion of his gospel, gives us at least four things to think about, four reasons to uh, reflect more deeply on the ascension of Jesus. Uh, And the first thing is that it's the resurrection that triggers the ascension. One way of thinking about it is that you need a resurrection to have an ascension. And so we see uh, our uh, narrative continue from where we were at with Josh uh, on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. In verses 36 to 43, Jesus comes to the twelve, at least the twelve less Judas. He appears to them in in a... locked room, peace be with you. Now, I'm not sure how you would have felt in that moment, Jesus coming into the room, the Jesus you thought was dead, the Jesus that rumour was saying that he wasn't dead anymore, he had been raised. And we read about how they were feeling in this moment, in verse 37. They were startled and frightened. They thought they saw a ghost They had troubles and doubts in their mind. I always feel sorry for Thomas, doubting Thomas, who uh, John focuses as missing this particular moment, but it's worth seeing that they all had their doubts and they all had their fears. And Jesus walks into that room and they're afraid, they're surprised, they're scared, they have their doubts. And in verse 39, we see that uh, the other disciples go through the same process that Doubting Thomas does. Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus was saying, it's me. I'm risen from the dead. I'm flesh and bones. And the narrative really underlines the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus. And uh, uh, Jesus underlines it again. He says, do you have anything to eat? He's trying to demonstrate to them the physicality of his resurrection. It's not a spirit raised but it's a body raised flesh and bones. One of my theological hobbies uh, is the English Reformation. And again and again, I go back to reading and thinking about Thomas Cramner and the Reformers. It's in that period that uh, the 39 articles were born for the Anglican Church. And I love article number four on the resurrection. It says this, Christ did truly rise again from death and took again his body with flesh and bones, all things appertaining to the perfection of man's nature with which he ascended into heaven and there is seated until he returns to judge all people at the last day. 
Article 4 puts the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus together. I'm not sure if you've actually... uh, I love how it's expressed here. Jesus took our flesh and bones into eternity and sat down at his Father's right hand. So you need a resurrection to have an ascension and the ascension reminds us that Jesus took our humanity into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God as the phrase goes in the Bible and the creeds. Well, the second thing I want you to notice then is that the ascension triggers Jesus' rule. Uh, Having demonstrated his physical resurrection to the people in the room in that particular moment, verse 44, Jesus teaches them. He says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Now, because we've been looking at Mark's gospel and we've had the Easter uh, events last week, uh, we've noticed the frailty and the foibles of the disciples where they kind of get it but not quite get it. They know that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah, but they're not quite sure how that all fits together. Here's the moment in verse 45 where their minds are open and Jesus allows them to see the vista. Uh, All the law, the prophets and the Psalms, that's shorthand for the whole of the Old Testament has been looking forward to this moment where through the suffering of the Messiah, he will be raised up to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The resurrection triggers the rule of Jesus. The ascension is the moment when Jesus ascends to his throne. And Jesus reminds them is that it's all there in the Old Testament. I hear people sometimes say, oh, the Old Testament is about wrath and judgment. But here Jesus says, the Old Testament is teaching us what to expect when I come. And uh, these things have been fulfilled in me. Uh, You might ask me the question, show me in the Old Testament where uh, Jesus is spoken of in this. And there's lots of places. Last weekend, we saw Isaiah 53 feature in Jesus' self-understanding. Let me take you just to one. Isaiah 45, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn by my mouth and and, uh, have uttered in all integrity. A word will not be revoked. Before me, says the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. So when we get to the New Testament, it's Paul writing about Jesus who says, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue acknowledge him that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus comes, raised from the dead, reminding them of the trajectory of his lordship and the ascension is that moment 
when Jesus returns to his father's side to be the judge and the Lord of the living and the dead. Uh, Jesus is God, raised in power, ruling as Lord, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. It's a glorious third part to Easter. And sometimes we rush over this moment and not allow ourselves the chance to pause and think more deeply about what these things mean for us. And for Luke, in chapter 24, the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God triggers two more things, the mission of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and those two things are uh, intimately intertwined. So the third thing I want you to notice is that the ascension triggers the mission of the church. In verse 46, uh, through Luke's lens, uh, we read this, Jesus told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. The Christian faith is founded on the witness of the apostles to Jesus. We're looking into the moment where it all came together for the disciples. We're looking at the moment where Jesus teaches them about the significance of the resurrection and the ascension. And we're looking at the moment where Jesus triggers the mission of the church. You will be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem, going to the ends of the earth and declaring the suffering Messiah and the, resurrection, the, resurrect, the raised Messiah. And you'll call the nations to repentance, to turn from their old ways and to turn back to God through faith in Jesus. And the Messiah will be preached to all the ends of the earth. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, he finishes with the same moment with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them all that you have received and baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and I will be with you till the ends of the age. So as we take up Luke's version of that same moment... Uh, we're challenged, as we're about to go into a phase of Warunga Anglican together, to be reminded of what our mission is. We want to be a church. We want to be a set of gatherings, one church, two sites, five congregations that proclaim Jesus. Him suffered. Him raised. In him we find our forgiveness. So uh, as we move forward together as our church, it's Jesus who gives us our mission to proclaim him, his death, 
his resurrection, his forgiveness to all the nations. Global missions has changed a lot these days. The world has come to us. That all we need to do is to be available to speak to our neighbours. We want to be a church that keeps Jesus at the centre of our local mission and we want to be a church that keeps Jesus at the centre of our global mission, just as he called those first witnesses to do. The apostles were called into this moment. You will be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem and uh, going out to all the nations. And I want to encourage you to see that we are part of that. That is our mission. And this part of God's word is saying to us, wake up, speak of Jesus, that uh, we too are in a long line of witnesses, maybe witnesses to the people of our day, our neighbours, our family and our friends. Well, the fourth thing that I want you to see is that the ascension of Jesus triggers the coming of the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, the Spirit coming and the mission of the church go hand in hand. Uh, sometimes I hear people ask, are you a Spirit-filled church? And uh, they mean in their minds uh, a whole range of things. If we ask Luke's Gospel, what do you mean by being a Spirit-filled church? Uh, we get a different kind of Bible answer. John Stott sowed an idea in my head that I found hopeful, uh, helpful and hopeful. And he says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of mission. And the spirit-filled church is the church on mission. The God of the Bible is a God of mission. God's mission is to restore people back to relationship with, uh, with himself through faith in Jesus. And here we're seeing the climax of God's work to rescue us and bring us back. And at the high point of that, in Luke 24, 49, Jesus says, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You'll be aware that Luke's, Luke is part one and Acts is part two of uh, Luke's proclamation. Uh, Acts begins the same way. Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father has promised, of which you have heard me speak. John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Jesus prepared his disciples for mission and public ministry. Uh, in, in his own public ministry, there, Jesus had already told them, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities, do not worry about what you'll, how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of mission and the spirit-filled church is the church that proclaims Jesus starting in Jerusalem and then to the ends of the earth. 
that you'll be glad to know I'm not suggesting that you go to Jerusalem this week. Uh, Even on the Thursday night, uh, Jesus taught his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness and judgment. So it's worth us seeing that the ascension of Jesus triggers the coming of the Spirit and uh, he asks his followers to wait patiently for that day of Pentecost. And that's another story worth telling. We want to be a Spirit-filled church. We want to be a church on mission. We want to be a church empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim Jesus. So at Warunga Anglican in these next few weeks and months, we want to refresh our hearts that that is our mission and that God has not left us alone, but by his spirit and by his word, we stand together to proclaim Jesus. So let me finish. We believe in Jesus Christ. He ascend- on the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. His bodily resurrection secures our resurrection as he takes our humanity into eternity. His ascension to the right hand of God triggers the coming of the Spirit. We are not alone. He is with us by His Spirit dwelling in our hearts. And His ascension invites us to celebrate His victory over death, His lordship over life, and the access that we have to boldly approach our Father's throne in a time of grace. This is what we believe. Jesus raised. Jesus ascended. Jesus ruling. And I've always loved the words of Hebrews 4. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy, find grace, and help us in our time of need. Jesus took our flesh and bones into eternity that we may boldly approach him in our time of grace. He strengthens us by his spirit that we may boldly together proclaim Jesus, suffered for forgiveness, raised to glory, to which we say, here I am, Lord, Send me. Let me pray.
Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for the ascension of Jesus. We thank you for the rule of Jesus. We thank you that Jesus sent the Spirit to equip us to be a people on mission, offering forgiveness and love to all the nations. Please use us as the church family of Rorunga Anglican to proclaim your Son. Amen.